Hi, I'm Andrew Dubber. I'm the director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF Podcast. I was lucky enough to get a chance to sit down and spend a bit of time with Lucy Caswell, who, I imagine, is pretty busy these days. She's the CEO of the Featured Artists Coalition, who are essentially a lobbying organisation representing in policy discussions the musicians whose records you buy and stream. And as with anything policy-related in the UK right now, there are one or two things going on. The FAC board is incredibly impressive, with a few brilliant MTFers in the bunch too, including Imogen Heap, John Robb and Marcus O'Dare, see previous podcasts, Katie Mellower, Howard Jones, Annie Lennox, Nick Mason, Sandy Shaw, Ed O'Brien from Radiohead, uh, Jeremy Pritchard from Everything Everything. There's some uh, solid representation right across popular music. And with management by Lucy, who's had something of a stellar career in music publishing and licensing, managing, promoting, digital business management, consulting on social impact, and advising on policy. We had a bit of a deep dive on intellectual property and how technologies affect the music industry ecosystem, whether copyright law is in any way fit for purpose, and also what the impending Brexit might mean for UK artists, the music industries as a whole, and frankly, the ongoing status of Britain as any sort of a cultural beacon. General Manager and Chief Policy Officer of the UK Music Publishers Association and CEO of the Featured Artists Coalition. This is Lucy Caswell. Lucy Caswell, thank you so much for joining us uh, for the podcast today. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, you are at the Featured Artists Coalition. You run the Featured Artists Coalition. Um, That's right. What's it for? Featured Artists Coalition is essentially the trade body for all recorded performing artists um, of the UK initially. Um, it was created 10 years ago this year uh, by those rabble-rousing artists like Billy Bragg and Dave Roundtree from Blur who wanted the artists to have their own seat at the business table, um, to have a say in how the business around them is run rather than be talked at or for by, by the other players. Yeah. Uh, and that's exactly what they established. And since then it's grown from establishing that seat at the table into a really strong community of artists. It's the only organisation that's run by artists, for artists, and it remains so. Um, but it's growing as much as a movement, as a trade body, which is lovely to see. By, by featured artists, do you mean the people with their name on the cover? Yes. The guys whose uh, records you stream, records you may buy, the main artist uh, who produces that. Why is there a distinction between those ones and, say, the session musicians or the, the people who are not, you know, the people on the, the front cover of the record but might perform on the record? Is, is, there, is there like a reason for the distinction that they're featured? Well, it, the, the name comes from, I believe, the PPL distinction between those artists and exactly that, the session musicians. So it's the lead artist, the, the controlling artist, as opposed to those who appear on that record as session players, yeah. What was the, the the cause for this? Obviously, you know, just having a seat at the table is uh, isn't in and of itself a reason to start something. You presumably you want to achieve something by having a seat at the table. What was the agenda? I think the agenda, the very initial agenda, which kickstarted the need, um, actually, yes, of itself to have a seat at the table, was seeing how the market was changing to digital and feeling that. Um, the artists really needed to uh, have a say in how policy and how industry and how contracts uh, reflected that and evolved with it. Did they take the artist's interests with them as, as well as the business interests? And 
like most things, law is uh, rather slower than creativity. So these things can uh, sometimes be difficult. And they wanted to make sure that those who are making money around music, their music, um, knew that what their interests were and that that went for them too. Right. Are, are the interests of these artists economic interests we're talking about? Oh, there's all sorts of interests. Yes, economic. So obviously, um, you know, the everyone around the music industry is making money out of that music mm. and between the artists and the, those fans. That's what the business is for. Um, but it's it's more than that. It's also is the direction of the music business in the interests of those who fuel it? Uh, is the direction of the music industry um, caring about those artists? Does it look after those music makers? Does it respect those music makers? And does it think about their futures as well as the business? Does it think about where they are at the heart of the ecosystem or are they a consequence? How are we doing? Are we now in a good place? Has this kind of been solved? As an industry is evolving, I don't think you ever solve something. And I think if you are creative, you don't want to solve it. You want to keep evolving and keep creating. So in that regard, there is always something to be involved in and there is always something to do. That said, the Featured Artists Coalition and the artists it represents have real respect now within the industry. It is someone that policymakers come to. They don't just go to the obvious stakeholders. Um, and having that place, having an equal hand in the way that decisions are made and evolutions happen is really important. And, and I hope both the existing success and the future of the business. How are the interests of, say, the BPI or you know, PRS or, or the Future Arts Coalition, how do they differ? And is there always tension between those positions? Or you know, is everybody just trying to get all of the money for themselves? Or, or, or is it that, that there are just different kind of... Um, I guess, perspectives that get brought to the table? I think there are inevitably different perspectives. Different businesses have different business priorities. Um, different representations represent different communities and everybody wants to make sure that they look after those communities and those interests. Sometimes they're aligned, sometimes they aren't. We'd like to think that the direction of the music industry is for more music, for a sustainable business and for the future of the music business. So in that regard we're aligned but how you get there can have tensions um, it can have collaborations we have formed the council of music makers which includes writers producers artists also that we have a common voice for that if you like that area of of the creative side of the business and there we find our common ground which isn't always the case but it's great to work together on that and it gives us strength in numbers but even across the different parts of the sector, we find agreement and strength where we have it and we fight our corner when we don't. Right. So why is it you? How did that journey uh, happen? Good question. Um, I have been in the music business for oh, over 15 years, I think. I started looking after songwriters and in studios. I know that's not true. I started going to gigs like everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, and worked in publishing and a lot of time in rights and a lot of time negotiating rights and actually on all sides of the table. So perhaps it's because as the as the industry um, evolves and the Featured Artists Coalition has established itself in the business, you know, it's 
they there's a maybe there's a recognition that it's always a negotiation um so that has been useful particularly in things like the copyright directive debate mm. um and other sort of cross-sectoral issues but it was also the time for me you know i wanted to negotiate with something that had real passion and had a community um and had a real purpose a potentially rather than just one deal after the next so stars aligned so do you see yourself very much as a, as a negotiator that's that's what you're good at it's something i have to do a lot but i would like to think that in a creative business with lots of different players you know there's always a conversation it takes more than that though you know it takes understanding your community i'm employed by them to help uh progress their agenda and to make their voices heard so i'm very much um in the hands of those artists and rather proud to be so so i'm learning all the time as well mm -hmm. i i remember when the digital economy act was being discussed and there was a lot of i guess uh conversation between um different artists with different perspectives on what should happen you know how do you as a kind of collective body come to an agreement about what the featured artists coalition uh, stance is on something that's as controversial as, as uh, you know, negotiating things like uh, copyright in the, in the digital age? Well, we do exactly that. We come together. Um, I think if you're a community, you are lots of different people. So by default, you're going to have different points of view. But together, you can find out where the common ground is. You have a meeting of minds on what you're trying to do. You're trying to give up the day job and live with your music and love your music and have your fans hear your music and and get paid for your music. So there is a lot of common ground in that and it's great to understand how you get from A to B in ways that take on board lots of different perspectives. Otherwise you might miss something. You might um, do something that wasn't helpful to someone in your community and you can only know what those issues are if you talk to people. Right. Is there a sort of a cut-off point at which it becomes advantageous for people to have, say, for instance, a hard line on copyright and for uh, other people who are trying to get, for instance, maximum you know, uh, communication with as many people as possible who go, no, no, let's loosen the restrictions on these things. Is, is that the tension that happens within that community or, or is it you know, something other than that? I think it's a different conversation um, to say that access is the opposite to restriction or that any controls over access are Those restrictive. Those are opposites. I mean, but, but I, I see what you're saying, but access and restriction to I'm access... I'm not sure that they are, actually. I think it's a question of how well do you know that technology? Do you have to inhibit access to monetize and protect things properly? No, not necessarily. Perhaps you just have to have smarter technology and you have to have an appreciation of copyright rather than... Um, something that isn't owned by someone else or you also have to have a sort of equal sense of responsibility for what you are broadcasting and we have that in debate on very many levels you know um what are the public being um given or what are they uh, exposed to uh, and in many other conversations there seems to be an obvious answer that there are some responsibilities there so why should that not be the case for something that someone else has created? I guess my question, like I've got a thousand questions, but I, they would boil down to, is copyright fit for purpose? Copyright or copyright law? Good question. Copyright law is what I'm talking about. So is current copyright law 
fit for purpose? Do we need to amend it or do we need to throw it away and start again from this first principles? This is exactly the conversation that we're having now, but it's more than that. It's also, as I say, the law is much lower than creativity. So there comes a point where you have such a change in consumption, in the way that um, the market works, it would be weird not to update your law um, in alignment with that. So this process has to happen. It always happens in markets over different generations and different evolutions. doesn't mean it's an easy conversation sure. because you have to understand the push and pull that you describe. But everybody is living in the same ecosystem, so we'd like to think we can find a solution. But that solution has to make it sustainable to keep producing that music. Right. I've had a lot of conversations in the past with sort of copyright reformists and I was yeah. kind of consider myself one uh, to a large extent. But th- there is a real debate, I think, to be had about whether the thing to do is to update copyright or to start again and go, right, what are we trying to achieve with this? What are the first principles? And what can we achieve if we write the rules again from the beginning? And it does seem to me very much that legislators, because of you know whether it's about you know uh, lawyers trying to keep their their income ticking over or or you know whatever the the agenda might be, but it very much seems like every time we have these conversations, we end up just going, no, we can just make a tweak, we can make another tweak, we can make an, and and it seems like you know we're just sort of adding features to something that actually really isn't doing the job that everybody would really like it to do. Well, maybe that's why the conversation that's only about Europe has happened for over two years because it's more than a tweak, but. It also is because it is a conversation that includes so many people and music is just one part of that. Sure. Um, and that, thankfully, has taken time. And I say thankfully because otherwise it would be a tweak yeah. or, or just a single action. But we do also have to remember, in the same way as we have to remember this business isn't in one city, we have to remember that this is, is a global conversation but this particular part of it is happening on a regional basis. You know, you get lost in the bubble sometimes. So we have more to think about than just this one um, region. We also have regions where copyright law doesn't exist, so they're exactly there. Do you have a blank sheet of paper or do you have catch-up? And I think that's an opportunity to think about what you're doing right and what you wouldn't do the same again. Right, for sure. How will you know when you've been successful? In copyright? At all. Well, for the point of fe- featured artists, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but but, but yeah, let's start. Question. Let's start. With, let's start with copyright. Um, you know, if you are sort of in this really kind of complex area of copyright law, mm. and there are people's interests at stake, and and all, all these things, how will you know when you've done a good job? I'm going to put a we on good job there because I wouldn't take the the, the credit or the weight for the, this, but I think a good job is where we have a really flourishing. I'm going to use that word ecosystem again for music. And that's not as abstract as it might sound. This is something that really has to work for music makers, innovators, technology, which is changing faster than this law can, Mm -hmm. um, for the future of all of those things to work together as they already work together will be making something sustainable for everybody. And that is both a problem and the success in it, yeah. Can you sort of future-proof? I mean, is it possible to set things up so that regardless of what changes, the, the kind of the fundamental principles that are at stake are, are at least looked after? Well, you'd like to think you could future-proof principles, but that doesn't mean that you can um, second-guess 
all those other politics, evolutions, technologies, and I'd love to think that we are only baby stepping into technology. So I'd like to think we can't predict a lot of things, and those things will change the politics as well because they change the money, they change the priorities. So I don't think you can future-proof the economic framework which goes with the legal framework and I'd, you need to keep that flexible. Part of some of the problems arise when things aren't inclined to evolve. Mm. Um, uh, you know, these things, law and, and copyright aren't iterative in the same way that uh, innovation is, but you should be able to remember your direction of travel, why you're trying to do it, and that's the principal argument, yeah. What are the big battles right now? We have big battles on a very national basis. Mm -hmm. Um, The outpricing of music businesses in favour of real estate is a big problem. Call it survival of music venues, but also music businesses. I think that's a conversation that culture shouldn't even be in. It's a very strange value comparison. We also still have issues with artists almost paying to play, which is extraordinary, but it also reflects on the pressures on um, music venues. We have large and growing issues, I think, um, with the mental health and welfare of artists, which have very, very many reasons. We don't have time to go into now, but what we can go into is that there needs to be a greater responsibility and awareness of that shared uh, amongst the business. And then we have huge, huge issues like the um, global environmental climate change issues that music has um, a big stake in because it makes a really big difference. It makes a big impact and it can also make some really good influencing uh, power in in that way as well. So we're working with people on all fronts to look at the money in the pockets of artists, the futures of artists and and so much bigger futures as well. Uh, The the, um, ecology side of things is interesting because it seems like something that a featured artist coalition, you know, for essentially famous musicians who are on the front covers of you know album sleeves uh, is it their job to make sure that uh, the environment's okay for the future is or is this just something that everybody should be taking care of i think it's an everybody everybody thing um but where you have an impact you have a responsibility so no we're not the only um group who who should have that responsibility but you know artists are inspiring they're leaders they're innovators and all of those things are important in that conversation in the same way as they are, as I say, from the economics to the welfare of, of artists. It's everybody's responsibility, but we like to think we can lead by example. So how do you become represented by the Featured Artists Coalition? Presumably there, you, know, you have to have sold a certain number of records or you need to become a member somehow. What's the, what's the infrastructure? Join us. Just join us. There, you can join for free. Um, you can join for a mere five pounds a month, in which case lots of other things are free and support and um, you can get involved in the way the organisation is run, advocate on issues you care about, um, be involved in the way that we support other artists. Fundamentally, it's a peer-to-peer community, so if that's appealing or needed, then join. What's the, m- the thing you're most proud of in your time there? Oh, the artist, 100%. And that, uh, I mean... <laughs> I didn't even pause long enough to remember that to say. I mean, it's, it is a really, really inspiring community and of such different, innovative, creative people. I think I'm always on catch-up, so I don't think it's leading. I think I'm learning. 
I think I'm going to ask the same question in a slightly different way. Okay. What are you most proud about that you've achieved yourself as part of your role at the Featured Artists Coalition? Whether it's achieved or continued, I get the sense now that the Featured Artists Coalition is a force to be reckoned with, I think, in a good way. And whether that's around the UK Music Board table or it's um, internationally, so we're asked for our opinion, we're asked for our advice, and that's what we need to do to make some change. How does this scale internationally? I mean, a Featured Artists Coalition is very much a British institution, well, there are similar organisations all over the world. That you're partnered with, that you collaborate with? We're part of the International Artists Organisation, which have 11 members, mm -hmm. uh, currently European and looking further afield. Where you have a community of artists, you can have um, an organisation of supporting artists, and we'd like to extend that everywhere in the world. But it's, it's already growing, yeah. Is not being part of Europe something that's troubling you guys? Oh, immensely, yes, of course. In what way? There isn't an aspect um, of functioning business that isn't a part of the music industry. You know, there's movement, IP, trade, um, communication, data. Every single facet uh, is important to music. So you can imagine the range of, of conversations there that we need to have. But there's also the aspect of what does this say about us? Music is immediately called upon by politicians as representing that so-called soft power you know the way that you describe your country is in lyrical and creative terms and yet if you cut off those livelihoods cut off the essential touring abilities for us or at least make them very difficult um, and more importantly perhaps you make people feel unwelcome um, whether it's coming to perform here or at work here or collaborate you know all of those things are an anathema to music makers so both in cultural uh, and economic terms it's of course it's a real concern to everybody in our business that we that we do agree on yeah for sure the, as a lobbying organization which i guess is probably a fair yeah. description of what you are um uh, what would you most like the government to change now in, in britain or what would you like them to do that would radically improve the lot of musicians have we moved on from the Brexit conversation? <laughs> um, don't do that. Um, there are many, many levels that the government needs to act to support music futures. And we're looking at access to music equally from school age through to sustainable careers. But perhaps the common thread is validating music, whether it's the course you take at GCSE or it's the job you take later in life or... It's the career that you try to sustain. It, it, arts and culture in the UK seems to have dropped down the political priority line very differently to other uh, countries who hold their culture as the highest achievement. And until that respect, that validation is, is reclaimed, I think all of those economic and social issues will continue to be a struggle. Is Britain in some kind of trouble because of that, I mean, you say that there are other places that hold arts and culture to the highest level. What is this doing to Britain that, that not holding those things in that high regard is, is uh, causing? Well, the bit that I suppose probably gets politicians' attention more quickly is that it will lose them a lot of money. You know, this is a massively outperforming sector. It's a sector that um, really contributes 
well over its scale to the economy, it also contributes to other areas of the economy, whether it's hospitality or from hotels to taxis to whatever it might be that makes you go to a place, enjoy a place and stay there. What's the bad thing that could happen by oh, Britain so. not uh, you know, holding these things in high regard? There's so many things to say they blew my own mind. Um, <laughs> I, I think one thing that we actually underestimate in these conversations is um, keeping the talent that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we built so much on this being a, um, a cool and culturally rich place to be. But if in both cultural and financial terms you make that difficult, why would our creative stay? Um, and for all the conversations in Brexit about moving people in and out of, of the UK, I think what are we doing to encourage people to stay here? Um, what are we doing to encourage people to take those careers and to enjoy arts? Um, and that, that I think that talent drain is an issue that we don't talk about enough. Right. And touring's hard enough as it is already. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But essential enough as it is already. Yeah. Absolutely. Been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Cheers. That's Lucy Caswell, and that's the MTF podcast. We're counting down the days to MTF Urubro, where MTF will be in residency in academia at Urubro University, running AI labs, pushing the boundaries of accessibility and creativity, and also hosting another MTF trackathon, this time with Graham Massey from 808 State setting the challenge, leading the judging panel, and doing a spot of mentoring along the way. He's also going to be jumping up on stage for a short solo set that happens to coincide with the release of the brand new 808 State album this month. And he's also going to do what he normally does at Music Tech Fest, which is to collaborate, improvise and experiment with other brilliant musicians, innovators and creatives. Now, if you want to know more about MTF Urubro or our other upcoming events and initiatives, make sure you're signed up to the mailing list so that you get these newsletters that we send out from time to time. We're not going to jam your inbox with hundreds of messages, just the important stuff as it comes to hand. Pretty much everyone we feature on the podcast is signed up, so you'll be in great company. That's musictechfest.net slash newsletter. In the meantime, have a great week, and we'll talk soon. Cheers. (laughs) 